The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks, they're trying to avoid their longest losing streak since October as investors await next week's Fed rate decision. In China, stocks are soaring as Beijing continues to shift course away from its strict zero-COVID policies and not out of the woods just yet. Reports this morning, the Fed is taking a closer look at Sam Bankman-Fried and his role in the collapse of two cryptocurrencies, plus tensions in the cloud. As Mark Benioff is set to retake his role as the sole CEO of Salesforce, and then later, sticker shock in the Big Apple when it comes to rising rents, just how much New Yorkers are paying up to have a roof over their heads. It's Thursday, December 8th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. I hope your Thursday is getting off to a great start. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after the S&P notched its fifth straight down day in a row. As we can see right now, the futures, they're basically flat across the board. They could open up slightly higher, but remember, it is very early, way before the opening bell. Let's take a look at bond markets. Now, this is where all the action is right now. Bond markets right now, you see the 10-year at 3.447. That's more than 60 basis points from where it was just a month ago. The two-year note, about 50 basis points from where it was a month ago. And this yield curve still inverted. Something to watch, often considered a recession indicator. Turning our attention to oil in the energy market right now. And we're seeing the oil market right now up slightly this morning. However, these, uh, the price per barrel, that's actually down over the last month. Kind of surprising. We had the OPEC meeting. We've also seen cuts. Something to watch as we continue. China continuing to be closed. There's zero COVID policy, a factor weighing on oil demand. And in crypto, we're seeing Bitcoin still below what's become somehow a key level of 17,000 at 16,800. Crypto market flat to marginally lower mix this morning. All over the place. Um, Sam Beckman-Fried, obviously a factor in that. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Jamana Bersetchi, she's standing by in our London newsroom. Good morning, Jamana. Morning, Frank. Well, the picture for Asian markets overnight was tilted towards more negative territory. You can see a lot of red on the board behind me, despite the focus on those COVID easing measures that have been announced out of Beijing. And also overnight, a new report has come up suggesting that Hong Kong may also go down a similar path. So we did see quite the bounce for the Hang Seng by the end of the session, up 3.4 percentage points, not so much for the Chinese index. Remember, in China, we're also battling with very weak macro data that's come out, export data yesterday coming on the weak side. The Nikkei 225 down about four-tenths of a percentage point over in Japan as well. Investors continue to focus on the currency, but also worth pointing out that the index is now at a one-month low. Over here in Europe, the picture isn't that much brighter. You can see it's pretty much mixed, but again, leaning towards the red for the week as a whole. The stock 600 is down about 1.5 percentage points. FTSE 100 in the UK down about a tenth. We are seeing a bit of a balance in basic resources today, but overall in the UK, we are very much focused on a lot of the industrial action that's taking place over the next couple of weeks that could be quite disruptive for the travel sector. Zetra 
index in Germany just down about five basis points. And then one final look at the Italian index. I'm standing right in front of it, down about a tenth of a percentage point here. Worth noting that that spread between the Italian yield and the German yield is about 80 basis points tighter since the Italian elections. But there could be some speed bumps coming up in the coming weeks with respect to the disbursement of the EU recovery fund. So something that's not on a lot of investors' radars, but we wanted to flag it today. All right, Germana, thank you very much for the early trade overseas. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Good Thursday morning to you, Frank. Well, federal prosecutors are reportedly investigating whether Sam Bankman-Fried manipulated the market for two cryptocurrencies back in May, manipulation that ultimately led to their collapse and implosion of his own firm, FTX. According to The New York Times, the investigation is in its early stages, and it is not clear whether officials have enough to determine any wrongdoing. Tensions had been rising in the top ranks at Salesforce months before the company announced co-CEO Brett Taylor would be stepping down. According to The Wall Street Journal, co-chief executives Mark Benioff and Taylor had been at odds over their responsibilities at the company, including concerns from Benioff over how Taylor was splitting his time between Salesforce and Twitter, where Taylor serves as chairman. Now, Taylor's exit early next year will mark the second time in less than three years that Benioff has parted ways with someone installed as his co-CEO. And the tech layoffs continue. This time, Plaid is joining the wave and laying off about 20 percent of its staff. That's about 260 workers. CEO Zach Parrott detailing the announcement in a message to employees, employees blaming, quote, macroeconomic conditions and slower than expected growth, Frank. Yeah, a lot going on in the world of tech. Um, Salesforce, obviously a huge story, having huge, a, a yeah. big, what they call a world tour later on in New York City. I'm going to be there. Something, something to watch. Silvana, thank You'll you. You'll be watching it for us. Yeah, a, a lot to watch there. Silvana, thank Thanks, you very Rick. much. All right, turn our attention to the broader markets. For the past two years, the consumer has been supporting the U.S. economy thanks to stimulus checks, low unemployment, and wage gains. But that may all be changing as the Fed's move to hike rates to bring down inflation is starting to impact the health and even the behavior of the consumer which is making your next guest just a little bit nervous. Kevin Simpson is the founder and chief investment officer at Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, great to see you. Great to have you on. Hey, Frank. Good morning. All right. So we're talking all about the consumer. You share with us a really impactful number. Uh, Peak savings here in the United States during the pandemic in 2020 was $6.4 trillion. Now it's fallen down to $581 billion. What does that say about the strength of the consumer going forward? Well, the U.S. consumer has kept this economy on their shoulders for so long, Frank, and I'm just getting concerned for how much longer can we do it. And your point is so valid. If you think of a $6.4 trillion number, and granted, it was a pandemic lockdown. We weren't spending. There was massive stimulus. But for the past two years, we've just been burning through that number. And to put the $581 billion in perspective, it sounds like a big number, but it's not a pre-pandemic number. We have to go back to the Great Recession in 2009 to see U.S. savings rates that low, Frank. So we can't spend a perpetuity. Well, well, maybe we can because we've got credit cards, right? But the problem there is consumer debt right now is approaching $1 trillion, the highest it's ever been. And when you factor in how high interest rates are going, I'm starting to get a little nervous just about where we can go from here with respect to interest rates on credit cards and a savings rate that low, Frank. All right. So your concern, I was actually covering Cyber Monday. The numbers for Cyber Monday were a lot actually better than expected. I'm throwing the actually in there because a lot of people were worried that the consumer would be impacting. 
Those strong spending numbers during Cyber Monday and what appear to be strong spending numbers for this holiday season, what does that mean about the strength of the consumer going forward in 2023? And what sectors do you see impacted? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to run out of the ability to keep hitting those numbers. We hit $11.3 billion in sales on Cyber Monday, which was amazing. But overall, the Wall Street Journal had an article out yesterday showing that we were down about 5% from 2019 numbers and about 9% from 2020. 2020 is a little bit of an aberration. We can't expect to have that kind of spring uh, spring break enthusiasm getting out of COVID. But I am concerned heading into next year. And, And companies see it, Frank. You look at Amazon and Target. They both lowered their estimates for the fourth quarter. They warned us of a little bit lower sales and holiday spending. Federal Express is an example. Instead of bringing on hundreds of thousands of seasonal workers, they're actually furloughing certain people in certain departments. VF Corporation on Monday came out and for the second time this month warned of lower sales expectations, both for the quarter and for the holiday spending season. So I'm concerned about how that translates into 2023, especially if we consider continued Fed increases in rates and continued quantitative tightening. It just means that we need to be really conservative, a little bit frugal, and maybe curtail our spending a little bit to prepare for a potential recession. All right, Kevin, we got to let you go in just a second. But what sector do you see the most deeply impacted by this flagging strength of the consumer? Well, I think consumer discretionary is going to get hit. Uh, it probably already has. We, we were looking at consumer staples as a place to hide, and they've gone up a lot. So if we're thinking about how to reposition portfolios for next year, I still like financials. I still like energy and healthcare. But we need to be careful. You need to look for low multiples and you need companies that have revenue streams. They can't be dependent upon the consumer because the consumer just might not be there to be able to back us up as much as we head into 2023 and beyond. All right, Kevin, we got to get going, man. Might not be to count on the consumer, but no, we can count on Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. You and I, big Eagles fans, will text about it later, man. Great to see you. Thank you. Go Birds. Go Birds. <laughs> All right, turning our attention now to the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. The clock is ticking for Congress on a lengthy to-do list before the year ends. That includes reaching an agreement on, on a government funding bill to avoid a shutdown next week. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with much more. Uh, just the latest issue down there in D.C., Bree. Good morning, Frank. That's right. There's not any time to waste. Congress must act fast when it comes to passing a spending bill as well as to uh, getting the military funded. Congress needs to pass that spending bill before the end of next week in order to avoid a government shutdown. It's crunch time on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers must pass a spending bill before December 16th or risk a government shutdown. Democrats want to set the spending agenda before Republicans take control of the House next month. We hope to get an omnibus uh, done of the spending bill for the whole next year to to avoid the problem of uh, McCarthy uh, having any control. Republicans want a short-term deal instead. We don't even have an overall agreement on how much we're going to spend, and we're running out of time. The clock is also ticking on authorization of the military's budget. There are holdups over issues including ending the Defense Department's COVID-19 vaccine mandate and funding for Ukraine. Administration officials say stalled talks could have negative impacts across the board. It goes well beyond uh, Ukraine. Another issue rounding out end-of-year calendar deadlines, the release of the January 6th committee's final report. Members say we could see criminal referrals soon. Obviously, um, the former president was at the center of uh, the effort to overthrow the government. 
So it would be foolish for me to say, you know, that's not something we're looking at. The January 6th committee will offer recommendations and possible legislation to prevent something like this from happening again. Now, referrals from the January 6th committee carry no legal weight. It's up to federal prosecutors to decide whether to pursue charges. Frank. So, Bray, you mentioned several congressional deadlines the lawmakers must reach. What is the status of the Respect for Marriage Act? Yeah, the House is expected to vote on the Respect for Marriage Act later today. Now, this after uh, the Senate made changes, it is going back to the House. And it is expected to pass. This is a Democratic-led effort or an effort that Democrats do plan uh, to pass through the House. And so later today, uh, they are expecting to have a bill ceremony uh, to further codify federal protections for same-sex as well as interracial marriages. All right, Bree Jackson in D.C., thank you very much. All right, when we come back, picking up the pieces after its worst day on record, a closer look at the shares of Carvana, actually up this morning. Plus, MasterCard is out with a new report on consumer spending. Speaking of it, and the year ahead, a first look right here on CNBC. And later, Disney officially launching its ad-supported streaming service today, what it means for a stock that's more than 40% off of its all-time high. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. MasterCard out this morning with its new 2023 economic outlook on the state of the consumer, consumer spending, and much, much more, offering a very unique picture for the year ahead. Joining me now in a first on CNBC interview is Bricklin Dwyer, chief economist and head of the MasterCard Economics Institute. Bricklin, great to have you on. Great. Hi, Frank. All right, Bricklin, we're going to touch on a hot button issue here, inflation. Uh, It's definitely weighed on the markets throughout 2022. Uh, You have a new report out today. What is your forecast for inflation going forward in 2023? So uh, inflation has definitely been the the key theme of uh, 2022. I think all of us have gotten intimately familiar with just how painful inflation can be. Uh, The good news is that inflation is expected to come down uh, quite significantly in 2023. So as we look for uh, you know, kind of a, a, a topping out of inflation over the next couple of months. Um, we expect inflation to reach about 7.1% in Q4 2022, and then moving down about 4.1% in 2023 by the end of the year. So quite a significant decline. All right. So I got to ask you, I mean, obviously, this is you were showing your estimate right now, um, 7.1%. This is globally, though, for in developed countries, um, and then 3.1% by Q3 of next year. So I also want to ask you about another thing that's been weighing on the markets, which is the high employment rate here in the United States. Um, a lot of people believe that that high employment rate is one of the reasons why the Fed hasn't decided to pause or to pivot. Um, so give me a sense of where you see employment going globally in the year ahead. So em- employment is, uh, is tricky and it definitely depends by market and which, uh, which economy you're talking about as well as which local market and sector uh, we're going into. Um, but with rising rates in places like the U.S., we expect uh, uh, more than another 100 basis points of rate hikes uh, across the world. Uh, there continues to be um, rate hikes 
But there's that there's that throttling back of rate hikes that I think is really key right now that we're seeing from central banks, including the U.S., but also markets like uh, Australia, Canada, and Europe, um, where central banks are looking at the rate of uh, uh, rate increases and throttling back based on what's happening in labor markets, what's happening in the unemployment markets, and what's happening with inflation. As inflation's coming down, they're starting to throttle that back. That'll limit some of that pain in employment markets. So one uh, sense of one way you can get the sense of the health of the consumer is how people shop for their groceries. Um, what are we seeing when it comes to grocery shopping? Are people buying as much as they did during the pandemic? There's obviously a lot of stocking up and pantry loading during the pandemic. So one of the key themes in our 2023 economic outlook from the Economics Institute is looking at trading down. So it's trading down product, trading down brand, trading down store. So if you think about when you go to the store and you are making that trade off of buying the name brand product or you're buying the store brand product or you're thinking about where to shop, it's showing up most in groceries. And that really is showing how the consumer is changing its behavior today in order to continue to consume in the experienced economy. So it really is changing their behavior, changing that, that aisle shopping at grocery stores and thinking about how they can continue to spend on those experiences that they missed out during the pandemic. All right. Another factor that's really on the minds of uh, the Federal Reserve here in the United States is housing costs. It's one of the factors in that core PCE number that they pay attention to. Um, Where do you see housing costs here in the United States especially going? We're doing some more talking about the housing market here in New York City later in the show. But just throughout the United States, what direction is it going in? Yeah, I heard the stat just now on uh, on rents going up in New York City. Uh, The cost of housing is changing, right? As interest rates go up, it's being passed along to the consumer and mostly vis-a-vis those interest rate sensitive sectors, housing and autos are the first big ones that get hit. And then you see that rotation out of those sectors into other sectors. So now the good news is it does free up a bit of money. The bad news is that it certainly people connected to those sectors and housing and autos end up getting hit harder than others. So you're going to see that that kind of shift or that that wallet transfer from those interest rate sensitive sectors back to the rest of the economy. Brooklyn, great to see you. Great data from MasterCard. One thing, though, man, we got to get you a plan or a bookcase or something. You just got a, a blank wall. <laughs> too <behind>. low. <laughs> great to see you, Brooklyn. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Your big money movers and talk about making a fashion statement. The shares of Rent the Runway, they surge. The full story <clears throat> when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Today's big number, 94 percent. That was the drop in NFT sales last month compared to the January high, according to data by DAP Radar. Overall sales have hit the lowest level since July 2021. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your big money movers. We're going to begin with GameStop. You can see shares are down almost a percent, um, falling after uh, better than expected earnings and falling, excuse me, uh, miss on earnings and falling cash reserves for the third quarter. 
The retailer reporting sales of roughly $1.2 billion, down from $1.3 billion a year earlier. GameStop's in the middle of a company-wide revamp again to become profitable. All right, shares of Rent the run- Runway are surging this morning. You can see they're up almost 18%. After it boosted its full-year sales outlook, the online retailer is adding its restructuring plan is, quote, substantially complete. The company whose market cap at the open will be just over $110 million, a stock we don't generally talk about, says it now expects full-year sales to be between $293 and $295 million. That beat expectations. And shares of Carvana, they're coming off their worst day on record. They fell 42% yesterday, up 4% now. After reports, two of its largest creditors have signed a pact that will bind them together in any debt renegotiations with the company. This on top of other speculation, Carvana is consulting with lawyers and bankers about a possible debt restructuring. As I said, shares this morning, they're up more than 4%. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines outside of the world of business. NBC's Philip Mena, he's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. The January 6th committee will release their final report the week before Christmas on December 21st. Chairman Benny Thompson says there will also be a formal presentation. Criminal referrals to the DOJ will also be included as part of this final report. In just a few hours, the House will vote to codify same-sex marriage protections. Lawmakers in the House passed an earlier version of the Respect for Marriage Act in July with a 267 to 157 vote. 47 Republicans joined all Democrats in favor of the bill. But because the Senate made changes to the legislation, another vote is needed before it can head to President Biden's desk. Following the expected passage, House Speaker Pelosi and House Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will hold a bill enrollment ceremony. And a royal bombshell just dropped on Netflix this morning. The premiere of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's highly anticipated docu-series has Buckingham Palace on edge today. It's going to be a tricky 24 hours as the world waits to see what revelations will be made. So more drama ahead, Frank. Yeah, a lot of drama there with the Royals, man. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that Netflix show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good to see you as always, Philip. You too. All right, ahead. First, it was Elizabeth Holmes. Now her second-in-command at Theranos is getting his day in court. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stocks looking to put a stop to their skid with the S&P facing a nearly week-long losing streak. Futures, they're muted ahead of the open. Salesforce's CEO set to try and reinsure investors and C-suite after C-suite shakeups and a slumping stock price. But the company not alone in its troubles. We dive into whether the skies may soon clear around the cloud sector. And Disney officially jumping on the ad streaming bandwagon as the media giant looks to stop the financial hemorrhaging for its Disney Plus platform. It is Thursday, December the 8th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get your Thursday morning off on a good start. We're going to look how the trading day is shaping up. Futures right now, as we mentioned, they're pretty much muted, kind of a flat open here on Wall Street. Obviously, we're still well, well, well before the opening bell. Also want to get a check on the bond market. This is certainly something to watch, especially with that Fed meeting coming up next week. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year the note at 3.44. This is about 50, 60 basis points lower than it was just a month ago. Also, the two-year note at 4.27. That's about 50, 60 basis points from where it was a month ago. I want to show you something. I want to highlight the gap between the two-year and the 10-year yields widening again, as you can see right here, widening again after it kind of closed back over here um, over the last month or so. So certainly something to watch. This right here often seen as a recession indicator. 
We also want to get a check on oil. WTI is down nearly 10 percent week to date as of Wednesday's close. Right now, we can see it's trading at about 72, 73 bucks a barrel, up a percent right now. Brett crude at about 78 a barrel, also up almost a percent right now. All right. Turn our attention to some of this morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau, she is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again to you, Frank. Well, Frank, the former business partner of Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes has been sentenced for his role in the fraud around the failed blood testing startup. A judge sentencing Sonny Balwani to nearly 13 years in prison after being found guilty of 12 counts of fraud. Balwani had direct oversight over Theranos's labs, where some of the biggest examples of misconduct took place. His sentencing comes after Holmes was sentenced to just over 11 years in prison last month. TikTok is facing fresh legal action. Indiana filing a pair of lawsuits against the China-based social media company. The state claims the platform is deceiving consumers about its content and data security. It adds that TikTok should be prohibited from allowing children to access adult content. The lawsuits come amid increasing scrutiny from federal and state leaders about TikTok's connections to China and influence on young users. And the cost of renting an apartment in New York City continuing to climb. The average rent for a Manhattan spot hitting $5,200 a month in November. That's according to new data. And Frank, the rise in New York rents also adds pressure to overall inflation since rents are a large component of inflation indexes and New York is the nation's largest rental market. Yeah, that housing cost, (laughs) something everybody's been watching, a big part of core PCE weighing on the Fed's decision. Uh, it's pretty tough to live here in the New York City area. It really is. It's expensive. <laughs> Costs a lot. <laughs> very expensive. Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right. It's been a rough stretch lately for Salesforce. Shares of the Powell software maker down more than 14% since it reported some disappointing mixed results just a week ago, with the company citing a slowdown in demand and CEO Mark Benioff saying the business is quote-unquote shifting. Salesforce has also been hit by a wave of high-profile executives by exits, excuse me, by top executives. We're going to get more commentary from Benioff today when he gives the keynote address. That's what's being billed as the Salesforce World Tour at the Javis Center right here in New York City. But the company isn't alone. Many cloud stocks are struggling as companies that spent heavily during the pandemic, they're now cutting back. The Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing Fund ETF is down more than 50% this year. Let's talk a lot more about this with Sophie Lund-Yates, Senior Equity Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Sophie, thank you for being here. Hi, good morning. All right, I think we got to start with the elephant in the room. How do you see Salesforce? Obviously, shares are down due to some high-profile exits, also flagging demand numbers. Mark Benioff said it very clearly on the earnings call and also in an interview with our own Jim Cramer, his business is shifting. What exactly does that mean? Hi. Yes, absolutely. There is really some multiple headwinds um, blowing against Salesforce. I mean, when you look at the look at the price, I mean, they're down nearly 50 percent year to date. There's clearly some challenges here. One of the really big key problems at the moment is that enterprises, corporations have their their access to cheap capital is massively reduced. So that means that actually some companies are going to be putting off the big upfront costs that are that are needed to, to migrate onto the cloud or to um, boost their cloud capabilities in, in various areas of the business. So that as a structural headwind I think is something that is likely to continue for now. And particularly when you look at Salesforce, it's it's, it's especially geared towards sales and marketing type software, which is exactly the corner of the economy that tends to suffer the most during economic downturns. So certainly some big challenges ahead. But of course, the bulls in the room would say that that the share price punishment has been overdone. Um, and we could be looking at a re-rate if things turn out better than expected in, in Q1 next year. Right. But we are going to have to wait and see. 
Yes, uh, Mark Benioff definitely flagged that CEOs and companies are, are changing their, their thoughts on what they're spending when it comes to sales and marketing. But just to be fair, Salesforce certainly isn't alone. We're saying sales and marketing spend might be slowing down, but we've heard some similar commentary from the CEOs of Palo Alto Networks and CrowdStrike, two cybersecurity players that are, and cybersecurity is often seen as quote unquote mission critical. So we're also seeing a slowdown there. What do you attribute that to? Yes, absolutely. It, it unfortunately just comes down to that, that same point, which is that companies are really doing all they can to rein in costs. And we know in the current heightened threat environment, the fact that people are reining in spending on cybersecurity is pretty shocking. Um, but I also think that we need to be careful in terms of, yes, we are seeing a slowdown. Um, but I do think that certain areas of the cloud environment are certainly better placed than others. And I do think that cybersecurity is, is one of those. Um, so yes, we are seeing a slowdown, but I do think that kind of this the structural growth story and the, the long-term outlook there is still really, really quite strong. But in terms of why that slowdown is happening right now, it is simply because of the, the desperate need to, to get hold of the bottom line and to boost numbers wherever they can. Yeah, so I mean, if you're a long-term investor, obviously the cloud transition might be something you want to invest in, but more in the near term, especially as we look to 2023 with a potential recession coming up, another rate hike more than likely coming up. Um, how do you see the cloud sector when it comes to investability? Uh, is right now a good time to invest in cloud stocks? Is this the time to buy the dip? Or do you see some structural problems that these stocks are going to face in the year ahead? I think there's a tale of, of two halves going on, as is always the case. I do think there are some incredibly strong players um, in the space. And I, I really don't think that we can say um, with certainty that, that cloud is, is a declining industry. That's certainly how I feel anyway. I think there are some bumps in the road, certainly. But I mean, look at um, Microsoft's cloud revenue last quarter, you know, up, up in the region of 30 uh, percent. The numbers are double digit still. And that's not to be that's not to be knocked. And I do think some of the valuation downturns have been have been really overdone. Um, that said, you will need to be kind of discerning in, in which ones you go for, because I do think, as I said, certain areas of the economy are going to be far more adversely affected. And I do think we're kind of at a fork in the road now. Um, and that kind of divergence is going to be even more, even more pronounced. You know, so if you really hit on something, uh, the valuations today, Salesforce actually downgraded by Baird. Their price target lowered by about 50 bucks. Is that really the issue with these companies and these stocks that their valuations just climbed too high? In essence, I think in a lot of cases, yes. I think um, around a lot of tech, I don't think we're ever going to see a full recovery um, into the, the valuations that, we, that we've seen in, in recent years. Um, do I think there's a little bit room for some semblance of a bounce in, in instances? Yes, I do. But I don't think we're going to get back to the, the heady, very frothy days that we, that we have seen in the last few years. Um, the valuations did get a little bit too um, excitable. And I think the the outlook was maybe seen as a bit more sprightly than it, than it really is. Sprightly. You don't hear that word too often on CNBC. Sophie Lund-Yates, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. All right, coming up, your morning's big money movers, including the big winners of a multi-billion dollar cloud deal with the U.S. government. Worldwide Exchange, back in a minute. All right, back, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for a bonus set of big money movers. We're going to begin with the New York Times. Hundreds of journalists and other employees at the New York Times are staging a 24-hour strike in what would be the first walkout of its kind in the paper in more than 40 years. Members of the News Guild of New York say they're just fed up with the talks that have dragged on their contract since it expired in March of last year. A spokesperson for the Times says the paper has contingency plans to keep operating without disruptions, no movement in the stock this morning. 
The Pentagon is awarding cloud contracts worth $9 billion each to Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Oracle. You can see all of them are up this morning. Amazon seeing the biggest benefit. Oracle, a bit of a surprise here, up more than a half a percent. The move comes after the Defense Department delayed a decision to award the contract for its cloud services earlier this year. The deal puts the military more in line with the private sector, which typically splits their cloud work among multiple vendors. And ExxonMobil is boosting pay for U.S. employees by about 10 percent. That's above the rate of inflation. Shares up fractionally this morning after the oil producer reported record-breaking profits. Employees who are being promoted will also see an additional 5 percent raise. All right. Now to the streaming wars taking a new turn as Disney officially rolls out its ad-supported tier of its Disney Plus streaming platform. The service will cost $7.99 a month. The current cost of its ad-free plan, which will now run $10.99 a month. And the move comes as Disney continues to face continued mounting operated losses from its streaming endeavors. You can see it right here behind me. Those numbers just seem to be growing and growing and growing, totaling nearly $1.5 billion in the most recent quarter. For more on this, let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Big Technology and a CNBC contributor. Alex, always great to see you. Great to see you, Frank. So we've talked about these ad-supported tiers before. For Disney+, Plus, adding that ad-supported tier of $7.99, what does it mean for subscriber growth and the long-term health of this streaming service? Well, one of the surprising things here is that the ad platform uh, that they're releasing is going to be released, uh, uh, released at the same price point as the ad-free offering that they had beforehand. So if you're looking at it to reduce churn, you're not going to get that. Um, and then the question is, how much money is it actually going to bring in? I saw there's a prediction that Mo Nathanson has by 2025, $1.8 billion. Uh, but like you mentioned at the top, $1.5 billion of losses in a quarter. So I think this is a strategic mistake for Disney. If Disney really wanted to make some moves here, I would lower the price or um, continue to be ad-free as it, and it can surge against uh, the leaders like Netflix. But this might just hamper it in the, in the name of financial engineering. I don't love it. All right. As we see another ad-supported tier roll out, where are we at in the state of the streaming wars? Is there still really a war going on? I think there's absolutely a war. Um, you know, we're still making this move from linear television to video on demand or, or uh, streaming. And we're not all the way there yet. Question is, maybe we, we'll, we won't get there or we'll take more time. Um, so you're starting to see these these companies, their growth is starting to tail off. Um, they're trying different strategies to maximize revenue to milk that asset that they have right now. Uh, but Disney still did grow 12 million subscribers in the, in the most recent quarter. So there there is growth to be had. Um, and and we'll see. It's going to be a tough time for them, though, as we go through this economic downturn. All right. Now we're showing the different streaming service and their prices per month. Um, as we look at this, do, are we headed towards a price war? You mentioned that Disney Plus's new ad-supported tier is the same price as its ad-free tier is right now. So are we talking about a price war, or are we still in an area, era where content is king? I think all these services are counting on people to continue spending the way they did through COVID and um, through the boom times. Uh, and that's why you see it's the surprise that Disney didn't even lower the rate for the ad-supported ad, um, tier. Netflix has a bit of a discount. I would expect that if these companies want these ad-supported tiers to be successful, they'll lower and, and lower even more, especially as we go through times like has been talked about through the hour today about uh, savings rates going down and people's expectations uh, you know, for, for their spending to go down over the years uh, to come. So um, I think a, a price war is, is definitely a good bet with these companies right now, even if we're not seeing it in the pricing at the moment. 
All right, we heard Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos basically say he had a revelation about ads on Netflix that all, you know, all of a sudden he realized that people want to put ads, I'm talking about the advertisers want to put their ads on there and it would be a benefit to Netflix. And he also mentioned that there could be multiple ads, ad tiers. I keep, yeah, ad supported tiers. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. Um, what do you think about that? Multiple tiers where people can pay different price points. Is that something we're going to see industry-wide in the future? Yeah, I think we could see it. I mean, currently the offering from Netflix is fairly ad light, even though it has advertising. It's nothing like what you see on television normally. So could you opt to get an even lower price and see more advertising? It's possible. I'm sure they have their uh, you know, financial folks going and crunching numbers like crazy right now as they see you know, the early results come in. But you know, that's what everybody, every CEO, and when um, they introduce advertising, they say, oh, I didn't realize there was demand. They always knew there was a demand. They decided whatever for whatever reason not to go for it. The market dictates they do it. And now, right now, when when profits uh, are are crucial, they're going to do whatever they can to meet what the market wants. All right. Financials aside, subscribers aside, in your mind, what's the best of class when we're talking about these streamers? I think the one to watch is Amazon Prime. Uh, Amazon has this luxury that they don't need to make the, the numbers work the same way that a Netflix would. Uh, because they can justify some of the spend on content that sends people back to uh, the shopping experience. You think you see things like Thursday Night Football or that new Lord of the Rings show uh, that have been a boon for Amazon in terms of e-commerce signups. Uh, and so that will just can continue to uh, get the company to spend and spend more uh, and, and offer more content for lower money. And it's the flywheel that Amazon likes to talk about, right, where they end up uh, drawing more people in, they shop, they watch content, more money for content, better selection on the site. Uh, Amazon, in my opinion, is the one to watch. That's really interesting. You know, Thursday Night Football, I got to admit, I watch, but the games are never really that good. And Baker Mayfield, of <laughs> all people coming up. If you're a football fan, you understand yeah. what I'm saying. Alex Kantrowitz, Amen. thank you for your yeah. insight on the streaming business. Thank you, as always. All right, sure. on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the S&P and the NASDAQ looking to snap their near-week-long losing streaks. The defensive plays, our next guest says, may provide investors some opportunity. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A busy, look ahead, a busy day ahead on tap for investors at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, we get the weekly initial jobless claims figures and a number of earnings results out today from the likes of Broadcom, Costco, Lululemon, Chewy, DocuSign, and RH. And two weeks' worth of hearings begin today over the FTC's antitrust bid to block Meta's plane purchase of ARVR app developer within Unlimited. One more check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the NASDAQ looking to put a stop to their ongoing multi-day skids right now. Again, futures uh, basically flat. The Nasdaq looking like it's going to pop just a little bit at the open. But uh, again, it's very early. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Sylvia Jablonski, CEO and CIO of Defiance ETFs, and Anne Maletti, head of active, active equity at Allspring Global Investments. Ladies, thank you both for waking up with us this morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. So, so Sylvia, let me start with you. Um, futures pretty much flat right now. Um, multi-day skid here on the markets. What do you expect in the day ahead? Good morning. Well, I, you know, the day ahead, I think, is unpredictable, like most of the trading days have been. We went from the situation where the market was rallying because it sounded like the Fed was turning a little bit dovish and talking about, you know, finishing up, which which sounded like great news and really, you know, got, I think, investors off the sidelines and traders trading. But then that was followed by 
over, you know, overly hot job numbers and increased wages and, you know, that kind of set us all back. So I think we're going to be in this sort of purgatory phase where we have a directionless market, range-bound volatility until we get past the point of the Fed doing the right hikes, until we see earnings and until we get some clarity around the recession. I think, you know, most investors are now now went from being obsessed with what the Fed is doing to being obsessed with soft landing, hard landing. So, Anne, you know, if you watch Game of Thrones, you know the sayings, winter is coming. You think winter's already here. Um, how are we going to see that play out in some of the earnings that we have after the bell and, and during today, but just going forward? I do think we need to see earnings come in a little bit more. Um, we have seen, we started to see, see some margin compression. We need to see a little bit more of that. Um, I do think the yield curve is predicting a recession. I think that that's likely uh, typically, you don't see the bottom of a market, one, until you hit peak inflation, and two, until you start to see earnings decline. And um, I just think consensus earnings for next year, still a little bit too high out there. So while we've seen the market come down a lot on multiple compression, we still need earnings to come in here a little bit. But the volatility that the market's bringing us every single day, as Sylvia alluded to, does create some opportunities. So, Sylvia, over to you. Where are these opportunities at? A lot of people are getting out of cloud stocks, um, cybersecurity flagging. There's some thoughts that consumer demand may slow down. So where do you look for opportunities in a market like this, especially with a big Fed meeting coming up? Well, I would actually argue everywhere, depending on your holding period. So if you have a long-term holding you know, investment horizon, dollar cost averaging, this is when value creation happens, right? When markets are sort of dismal and 30, 40% off of all-time highs. So to your point, you know, you mentioned tech, right? So you have Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, all of these names are, you know, 20 to, to almost 50% off of their 52-week highs. And I don't think cloud is going anywhere. Innovation isn't going anywhere. 5G, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, you know, automating um, labor forces, given the labor crunch we have, fixing supply chains, all of this requires technology and that'll play out for the next decade. It is just grossly beat off and on sale. And I love alternative energy. So if you look at something like hydrogen, for example, catching a major tailwind because of the Inflation Reduction Act tax credit, you know, this move to going carbon neutral by 2050 and, and you know, the most abundant element in the earth is, is, is really being, you know, harnessed to generate energy. So I think a lot of investors are looking towards that as the next sort of gas energy play. And then defensive names like the pharmaceuticals, um, names like CVS, United Healthcare, they pay a div, they do well, whether or not we're in a recession and they diversify your portfolio. So long term, there are places to go tech that'll be longer, longer, longer term. Um, I think for the next couple of years, you're going to do well with those alternative energy and healthcare pharma types of place. All right. So those are the sectors to watch. What are the metrics to watch? Everybody's trying to pick stocks right now because it's not like it was during the pandemic where you just go, OK, I'm going to throw it all in big tech or throw it all somewhere else. So, and are there certain metrics to watch? Um, one big stock that I'm watching, Salesforce, because I cover it, they have projections. They want to lower, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, raise their revenues to $50 million by fiscal year 2026. They also want to improve their margins. Is margin the thing that you're watching right now? Margins are important because we're looking for margin compression and trying to avoid companies that are going to have great um, compression. But our investment teams really, who are stock pickers at heart, are watching for cash flow. 
And the direction of cash flow will tell you a lot about the direction of the balance sheet. And if we are headed into a recession, what do you what you want to be sure that you have are companies that control their own destination. You can't control the macro. CEOs, CFOs cannot control the macro, but they can control what's happening internally. And their own balance sheets, their own cash flow can give them a lot of flexibility. And even in times of downturn, companies can actually really um, gain strength by using their balance sheets aggressively or being hand-tied because they have a a weak balance sheet. So um, I would say cash flow, watching balance sheets and management teams. But I agree with Sylvia that the opportunities are widespread across the market. Um, I'm hearing that a lot from our portfolio managers and our analysts there's a lot of opportunity. There was no, um, the market was not discriminate in its, um, and it's taken its multiples down across the board here. So there will be opportunities. Investors are also looking for yield. So I would say stocks that have some yield might be more attractive going forward. That's very interesting. You know, and I want to ask you one other question. You're saying free cash flow is really critical, but isn't it technically a backwards looking metric? It doesn't give you as much sense of what's going to happen in the current quarter or the quarters ahead. It might be a backward-looking metric. However, it still tells you um, the strength. And if you look at historically the ability of the company to generate cash flow, compare, combining that, it's never one metric. I should have said that to beginning too, in the beginning. Never just one metric. But if you look at what cash flow has done historically, combining that with the, um, the history of the management team, whether or not they've lived through previous cycles, whether or not, I mean, not many of them probably have lived through inflationary cycles, but have they lived through challenging cycles, challenging environments? Again, the strength of the balance sheet also matters. All, a lot of things combined do matter, but it's not going to be revenue growth alone. Certainly, revenue growth will matter as the economy slows. And I think to Sylvia's point, that's why tech, we would not write off tech either, because right. when the economy slows, people will look for growth. All right, Sylvia, speaking of tech, is the FANG trade back? Maybe minus Meta, but is the rest of that group back in your mind? Yeah, I mean, to Anne's point, I think these companies have great um, cash balances, strong balance sheets, they're quality companies, so they can survive a recession. And if you if you pick apart some of this data and pick on these companies, like Amazon and Microsoft were just hammered after earnings. You know, analysts were, were sort of so disappointed the market ended up punishing those stocks. But if you look at cloud growth, for example, so maybe it goes from 50% year-over-year growth to 30% year-over-year growth. I'll take that. You know, maybe we're not going to get 20 to 30% returns on those stocks, but we'll get lower, you know, lower, lower double-digit returns, particularly as we start getting out of a recession. And I just stand by the point that, Advertising is going to come back and Google will play there. They will also play in cloud. You know, for Amazon, Mm -hmm. e-commerce, the consumer, the consumer is still strong now. Some of these discounts will eventually go away. Yes, we'll have the sort of the recession last year. But again, you're thinking long term. Amazon isn't a stock that you want to buy for a couple of months and then sell. It's a stock that you want to hold for the next decade, especially being down 45 percent. You know, there's a lot of juice in these types of names. So I do like tech. All right, Sylvia, we got to leave it there. Sylvia and Amaletti, thank you so much both for your insight and thanks for waking up. Thank you. All right, that's going to do us for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 